web is more confused than another. Alright. So, this is going to be a very short episode. I'm going to make it clear to y'all that I'm a secular Buddhist because I practice secular Buddhism. It's secularbuddhism.com. There are many schools of Buddhism, they all explain slash teach Buddhism in different ways. Some traditions emphasize reason, others devotion, others mysticism. Most combine self-love and truth. The end goal for all of them is to help people to arrive at a state of quote-unquote awakening and quote-unquote enlightenment. When I started studying Buddhism, I had a hard time understanding the concepts being taught. As my understanding grew, many of the differences between these schools became much less significant. Rather than focusing on which one was quote-unquote right, I focused on which one spoke to me. Secular Buddhism takes a pragmatic approach to explain and apply Buddhist teachings and is based on humanist values. I practice that teach secular Buddhism because it makes no sense to me. I have a deep love for Buddhist wisdom and respect of Buddhist teachings. Secular Buddhism is not a non-denial. Let me slow down. Secular Buddhism is a non-dogmatic way of understanding uh, and practicing Buddhism. I repeat, secular Buddhism is a non-dogmatic way of understanding and practicing Buddhism. Buddhism is often referred to as the path of liberation. The liberation from what? From our habitual reactivity and self-inflicted suffering? The aim of Buddhist teaching is to understand the nature of reality the nature of suffering and to let go of the cost of suffering. The process starts by taking a look at how we see the world. When we understand the way we see things, the way we see things will change. This introspection will give us insight into the nature of our own minds. Rather than trying to change the world's circumstances, we focus on changing ourselves and in the process the world around us changes. The secret of Buddhism is to remove all ideas, all concepts, in order for the truth to have a chance to penetrate to admit itself, says Thich Nhat Hand. That's his name. We are the prisoners of our own minds. We are bound by concepts and ideas. Rather than presenting us with a set of beliefs that we can choose to believe or not, Buddhist teachings are something we do. These teachings help us to learn to look inward, to discover that nothing is permanent, that everything is constantly changing that all things are interdependent. With this wisdom comes the understanding that the things we seek outside ourselves are actually found within. With this wisdom comes the understanding that the things we seek outside ourselves are actually found within. Why secular Buddhism? In my years of studying and researching Eastern philosophy and Buddhism specifically, I spent countless hours reading through hundreds of books and listening to lecture series on the topic of Buddhism. As I studied the teachings on the nature of suffering, infinite, impermanence, and interdependence, I found them to be incredibly powerful and enlightening. I quickly realized that these teachings are relevant and useful to anyone, regardless of their beliefs and non-beliefs. Secular Buddhism allows for this ancient wisdom to be added to whatever background slash world we already possess, whether you are Christian, Muslim, atheist, Hindu, believer, non-believer, agnostic, theist, so on and so forth. It doesn't really matter. Secular Buddhism is about helping you become a better whatever you already are. 
I share, I share, you know, it represents my own individual understanding of the essential teachings of Buddhism without any supernatural cultural attachment as in, as in the past 2,500 years. What does Buddhism teach? The, the collective teachings of the Buddha are called Dharma. In its simplest form, Dharma can be found, sorry, in its simplest form, Dharma can be defined as the teachings that lead to an awakened mind. It's important to understand that Buddha taught a method Dharma practice rather than a belief system. The Dharma is not something to believe in, but something to do. It's an action method. Dharma teachings are a challenge to understand the nature of anguish that builds its origins, realize how to end anguish, and bring into being a way of life that is resistant to anguish, not immune but resistant. It is a method to be investigated, something you can try out. It starts by understanding anguish, anguish, which we're all familiar with, and applies a set of practice to understand this human dilemma so we can work toward a resolution. Impermanence. Everything is impermanent. Jobs, relationships, good times, hard times, love with our own life, and even the universe itself will end. The problem is that we know this, and yet we tend to cling to things as if they were permanent because we want these things to last, at least during our lifetime. When we truly understand impermanence, the less we cling to outcomes and expectations. That doesn't mean it's suddenly easy when we lose a job or love, it just means that the recovery from suffering will go more smoothly when we learn to see things as they really are, impermanent. Spend some time thinking about impermanence. Find what areas you currently cling to because you expect them to last. Does the clinging affect the desire? Excuse me. Does the clinging affect the desired outcomes or expectations? What happens if you recognize that everything is impermanent? Interdependence. Please teach interdependence access to explore the reality of objects and their connection to ourselves more than any other teaching I know of. The main, the main idea here is that everything is interdependent. Nothing that exists, including you, exists in and of itself without dependencies and as a single permanent thing. Think of a cake. It exists because of its interdependence on all the things that make it a cake. Eggs, flour, sugar, and oven, etc. Everything about us is in constant change from the trillions of cells that make up our bodies to the multitude of processes that create thoughts, emotions, reactions, opinions, and beliefs. We are not static objects. We are works in progress with mind-boggling, complex processes that all depend on each other. Suffering. Suffering is a natural part of living. Suffering emerges from craving for life to be other than it is. Life is impermanent and changes constantly. We go frustrated when the world doesn't behave the way we think it should, and our lives don't conform to our expectations. While we try to do everything in our power to avoid suffering, the reality is that we can't completely avoid it. By understanding the nature of suffering, we can approach each moment with a bit more clarity and confidence, relaxing into it rather than resisting it completely or being overwhelmed by it completely. The Buddha's core teachings can be summed up in four key points. These are known as the Four Noble Truths. The truth of suffering. In life, there is suffering. Suffering is a part of life. Simply acknowledging that fact that at any given moment, we may face some type of uneasy or uncomfortable experience constitutes an essential lesson of the First Noble Truth. The truth of the cause of suffering. Suffering emerges from craving for life the other than it is. Life is impermanent and change is constant. We grow frustrated when the world doesn't behave the way we think it should and our lives don't conform to expectations. The cause of suffering lies not in the events or circumstances, but in the way we perceive and interpret our experience as it unfolds. The truth of the end of suffering. The cause of suffering can be ended. 
understanding that all things are impermanent and ending the chase after satisfaction and enlightenment. It's not suffering that ceases. It's craving. The essential lesson of the third noble truth is that the limiting ideas we hold about ourselves, others, and every other experience can be unlearned. The truth of the path that frees us from suffering. There is a way or path to end the cause of suffering. We need to abandon our expectations about the way we think things should be and begin to develop awareness about the way things are. The first noble truth teaches us that in order to bring an end to suffering, we need to cut through the dualistic habits of perception and the illusion that hold them in place, not by fighting or suppressing them, but by embracing, exploring them. The path is eight main points and is known as the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is the heart of Dharma practice. The path is intended to be a guide for everyday life, and following the path, you will learn to see life as it really is. The path is depicted as a wheel with eight spokes because the path is not linear and each area is equally important. The eight points of the path are wise or right view. Right view means seeing the world as it is. What are your views of the world? Do you cling to your views? Understanding impermanence, interdependence, and suffering along with the four noble truths will help you to have the right view of yourself and the world. Wise or right intention. Right intention means understanding what the true intentions are behind our actions. Our thoughts, words, and actions are all driven by intentions. For example, when our intentions stem from anger, fear, resentment, or greed, we're more likely to do harm with our thoughts, words, and actions. A great way to practice is to ask ourselves questions about intent, like, why am I thinking this? What caused me to say that to my partner? What made me angry enough to throw the remote? Once you're aware of your intentions, it's easy to try to set new ones and to replace old intentions. Wiser right action. Right action means acting or behaving in a way that is not harmful to ourselves or others. Wholesome intentions help lead to wholesome actions. Wiser right speech, communication. Right speech means communicating with others in a way that doesn't cause harm. Lying, gossiping, and hurting other people's feelings is not right speech. This covers all forms of communication, speech, texting, emailing, writing, etc. This doesn't mean withholding opinions or ideas. It means we are mindful of the intention behind the communication decide if what we're going to say will do more good or more harm. Wiser right livelihood. Right livelihood addresses how we earn a living. We must determine for ourselves if what we do for a living is causing harm to ourselves and others or if it is neutral or helping. Right livelihood also includes how we interact with others while doing our jobs. Wiser right effort. The right effort is what it will take to be able to put into practice all the other parts of the path. Without effort, there's no practice. We must be determined to put into practice all the other points of the path if we want to experience any kind of positive change. Right effort affects all of our interactions in the world. Wise or right mindfulness? Right mindfulness means paying attention to everything we think, say, and do. It's important that mindfulness should be anchored in the present. With proper intention, effort, and mindfulness, you can train yourself to be present in everything you do. Right mindfulness goes hand in hand with all the other parts of the path. For example, right speech will determine what I'm saying to someone when I'm talking to them. Right mindfulness, again, example, right speech will determine what I'm saying to someone when I'm talking to them. Right mindfulness will prevent me from checking my phone while I'm talking to someone in person. Meditation is the tool to develop mindfulness. As you develop mindfulness in a quiet, still environment of meditation, you then extend mindfulness to include all your daily life. Wiser right concentration meditation. Right concentration is the practice of focusing the mind solely on one thing. Like mindfulness, concentration is the tool to anchor us in the present. Concentration improves through meditation and it requires the use of right effort, right attention, and right mindfulness. 
Once mindfulness and concentration are established, then you can develop greater insight overall because your mind is no longer flooded with thoughts that inhibit wisdom. The Eightfold Path is something we need to practice continually. You'll notice how various segments of the path overlap and rely on each other. Walking the path is an ongoing lifetime effort that will bring many rewards and improve the overall quality of life. So, and I want to be clear that we can't end all suffering, you know, like natural disasters, but the suffering that we can end, we absolutely should. And I would say that there is a permanence in a sense. I would say the permanence is that there will always be uh, goodness. Even if good people die, their goodness never dies. You know? So, in a an enlightenment sense, good people never truly die. We just multiply. Even if we transition out of Earth, our goodness keeps spreading to other people, and they take our goodness and create more goodness out of it. And that's what each generation should be doing. And I also noticed that um, maybe the universe will end or not. I don't know. But a lot of the things in the universe will end. Like our our physical relationships will end. You know, like the loved ones. You know, we may not work our jobs, you know, our whole lives because at some point you got to stop working. At some point your body gets old. At some point your body doesn't function like it did when it was much younger. You got to stop working. So that's what I and um, I like that secular Buddhism teaches a knowledge system instead of teaching a belief system. 